God, you're such a great God and you're worthy as we've sung and sung praise to you. Lord, you're so worthy. So Lord, bless this time now, this short time. I pray you bless it and speak to our hearts. And Lord, do what we can do and that's change our lives. And I pray that you'll just uh, use your word to do that this morning. And Lord, all the glory goes to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2 if you got your Bibles. And I do have a lot of it up on the screen. But um, I'm going to talk about this this morning. Staying close to Jesus on the journey. Staying close to Jesus on the journey. Um, I don't know if any of you as a child got lost. I remember one time, I, I don't remember what store I was in, but I, I was with my mom. I was probably four or five. And I turned around, and she wasn't on the same aisle anymore. And I, I, so I didn't know what to do, and I just stood there. And a lady came up to me and said, said uh, Son, um, are, are you lost? I said, No, my mom's lost. I told her my mom was lost. And uh, so she took me up to the front, and they made the announcement. Uh, this little boy's up here says his mom is lost, and she needs to come get him, you know. And everybody thought that was funny. But uh, another time, I, I went, we've got four kids, not as many as five is, but we got four. And, uh, and uh, when they were growing up one time, I always got to church early, and my, the kids would come, my wife, but then going home, some might ride with me, some might ride with my wife. And one time we get home, and we're missing a daughter. And I said, oh, I thought she was with you. And he said, no, I thought Lauren was with you, you know. And so the good thing is we only live like five minutes from church. I drive back up, and there's a couple, a family just standing there with our daughter, you know. So we just left the child at church, you know. And she, we knew she'd be there Wednesday night when we got back. But it, it was kind of good to take her home for the first few days there. But uh, anyway, so this, this morning I want to look at, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to read, I'm going to read verses 41 through 52. I know that's like 12 verses but it gives us the entire picture of what we're going to talk about today. So if you'll just kind of follow with me on that, and um, that way we'll, we'll be able to just take it a, a verse at a time as we go through it, and we'll be familiar. So verse number 41 in Luke chapter 2, it says this, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, that's speaking of Jesus, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended and they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Uh, this morning, we want to talk about staying on the journey with Jesus, staying close. Now, let's start in verse 40, 41 where it says, His parents went to Jerusalem, and it was the feast of the Passover. Now, you, I'm sure we've all heard of the feast of the Passover. This was a feast that was done every year, all right? And in those days when people traveled, of course, they didn't have automobiles and stuff like we do. They were traveling with animals or chariots, maybe, or most of them were walking. And many times they traveled in what was called caravans, or their relatives, would, the whole village would go together. 
but they would travel together. And so you, you look at that and you say, so how in the world did two parents misplace their son, their 12-year-old son? Uh, I mean, were they, was Mary and Joseph bad parents? Were they just not responsible? I don't think it was anything like that. The women and children many times would go ahead of the men and get a head start, and then the men would catch up. So here's Jesus, 12. He's right at that age of a, of, of, of a, of a young man and, and becoming a man. Now, G Jerusalem to Nazareth was 80 miles. That's a long walk. And it would take them anywhere, they said, from three to five days. But in verse 44, as we read, it said, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they begin to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. I can imagine walking around going, have you seen our son Jesus? Have you seen our son Jesus? No, I haven't seen him. I, haven't, I don't think I've seen him since we've been gone. I can imagine that, that, that shock and that fright. Uh, they go an age journey. Now, in the Jewish culture, you became a man at the age of 13. So like I said, Jesus was right at that age. So Mary probably thought he was with Joseph and the men. And Joseph probably thought he was with Mary and the children. Now, a 12-year-old boy would be very responsible during those days. And it's interesting to notice that Jesus never stayed back the other years except for this year. Um, let me read this commentary about the 12th year of a, of a Jewish boy. It says this, The 12th year was the final year for a boy before he entered full participation in the religious life of the synagogue. Up until that time, his parents, especially his father, were teaching him the commandments of the law, but at the end of the 12th year, the child goes through a ceremony by which he formally takes on the yoke of the law and becomes a bar mitzvah or son of the commandment. Perhaps Jesus wanted to demonstrate for those who had eyes to see that he would be more than an ordinary Jewish bar mitzvah. His insight into the commandment was more profound than ordinary men and his relation to God was unique. So Joseph and Mary turn back and go to Jerusalem. In verse 45 and 46 it says, When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Three days to find him. As a parent, I can't imagine how hard that would be. Now as a child, I know with my parents, if I was gone for three days, they would be, in, they would be terrified and all. But when they found me, when they found me, it would be one of those, we love you, we're so glad we found you, but you just wait till we get home. You know, that long, in the back seat of the car ride home, you know. The kids back there, many times I didn't realize I was praying for the rapture, but I was saying, Lord Jesus, come quickly. You and I both know this is what would be best right now, you know. Just come before we get to the house, you know. Um, three days to find this, this boy, and he's sitting in the temple when they find him, during this week of Passover. Now, during this week of Passover, the religious leaders would hold these public discussions in the temple courtyards. And it was a custom that they would hold these and they would teach in the public. They would also uh, give statements and ask, answer questions, theological questions, so that everyone around could listen. It was like there was a purpose to it. And especially during this Passover time, they were probably talking about Passover history or tradition or observance. So questions from the crowd were permitted. And here is Jesus at 12 years old being permitted to answer these questions. And it says they're like astonished, they're shocked at his answers. Now, Jewish culture is different from ours. When we send our kids to school and they come home, we say, 
so what did you learn at school today? But in the Jewish culture, they would say it like this. What questions did you ask at school today? Totally different thought there. Did you ask some good questions so that you could learn? And in verse 47, it says they were amazed at his understanding and his answers. He had great knowledge of the laws of Moses. <laughs> the amazing thing is he's the fulfillment of that law. <laughs> That's amazing. They don't know who they're talking to, do they? Verse 48, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And then Jesus says, why are you looking for me? <laughs> That's an interesting statement, is it? Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? In the King James Version, it says, I must be about my father's business. Notice how Mary refers to Joseph as Jesus' father. But Jesus himself takes the father as the heavenly father and gives it to God. Verse 15, 51. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them, and he came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. I can imagine Mary saying, what happened? What just happened today? What was he really saying to me as his mother? He seemed like it was more to it than just a couple of sentences there. You know, he was saying a lot more. And he was submissive. Now, Jesus, in verse 52, it says this. He increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus, and we know the story, was virgin born in a womb just like any a baby, just like little Boaz was this week. And he's got to grow physically and be nurtured by his parents. Think of God the Father putting his son in such a position. A position where King Herod would love to kill him. And he kills all the two-year-old boys and under, trying to. He puts him in a very fragile state where a mother has to breastfeed him and take care of him and he has to grow just like any other child. But God the Father has a unique relationship with his son. And Jesus, it says, increases in wisdom and stature and divine favor and he increases in human favor which involves relationships with others. So the fact that Jesus increased in these areas shows us that God... The father sent his son with room to grow physically and room to even grow, you might say, spiritually as he takes on more responsibility of the, his reasoning for coming. So he's born with these limitations of an infant, but he now is 12 years old. And the amazing thing is this. We see in Luke he goes from about two years old when we leave there, and then it skips to 12 years old, what we're reading now, and then it goes to 30, about 30 years old. So this is the, in the middle, that the only story we're given about him. Now, what can we learn from this story today that's going to help you and me on our journey with the Lord? First of all is this. Let's start at the beginning. We can have him at salvation. We can have Jesus Christ in our salvation. 2 Peter 3, 9. God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Everybody that came last night to a trunk or tree, it was so much more than candy. God loves every one of those people in Tallahassee. He loves every one of them. Pastor Faez has taken us through the book of Acts, and we're constantly seeing this young church, and what are they doing? They're trying to reach people, and people are getting saved and baptized and being discipled, and it's still the same for us 2,000 years later. We are to reach people with the gospel. The burden is to not just be in these doors and in this building, but to take this church, this people, God's church, and go out into the community and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's where they are. That's where they are. 
so we can have Him in salvation. Salvation is not a keeping of rules or rituals or anything. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not what I have done to be accepted by God because I could not do good enough. But it's what God has done to make me accepted. That's a great thought. It's not anything that I could do to work my way to heaven because I could not get there and you could not either. I'll, I fall short of the glory of God. It's what God has done for me. His Son, Jesus Christ, made the full payment for sin. So we can have Him in salvation. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're missing it. You're missing the number one thing is salvation. That's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. So we can have Him in salvation. And then secondly, we can have Him in our daily walk when we're led by the Spirit. Psalms 32.8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go, and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Amazing thing about salvation is this. The miracle takes place, and God, the Holy Spirit, lives within us. That's an amazing thing. Why in the world would He want to live within this body that I have? But He does. And He lives within us, and everywhere I go, I take God the Spirit with me. It's an amazing miracle. And He's there to guide me and comfort me and even convict me of my sin because He loves me. And I take Him everywhere I go. Everywhere I go. In Luke 4 verse 1 it says this, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit, notice this, in the wilderness for 40 days. Why? Being tempted by the devil. You know, when you read that you think, well, God, the Spirit, surely He would only lead me in great places, good places. But would God ever allow bad things to happen in my life? He sure will. Because I grow more in the valley than I do on the mountaintop when everything's going good. We grow during the hard time. Would God lead suffering in my life and allow suffering in my life? He can. But that suffering brings us closer to Him as we say, God, I need you. I need your help. I'm going through pain. We sing about it this morning. In the good times and the bad times, what are we going to do? We're just going to praise the name of the Lord anyway. We can have Him during the difficulties that life brings. The difficulties that life brings. Being in the center of God's will may mean that we're in the center of suffering sometimes. It could be that way. 1 Peter 4.19 says this, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will, according to God's will, and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Not one of us will escape hard times in this life if you live long enough. We all have our days when we feel we can't survive. Sometimes dreams are shattered. Friendships may fall apart. Loved ones may hurt us. Or our finances may collapse or worry us. Sickness may overtake us. We may even lose people we love. But God will always be there to guide us through even the toughest of times. So as we sang this morning, never lose faith, never lose hope, trust in God always. Losing touch with Christ. They went out from the city, Jesus never left, they did. It was Mary and Joseph's responsibility to be with Jesus. So let me say this, how can we lose touch with Christ? We can lose touch with Christ through indifference and a lack of commitment. When we're walking on our journey, if we're not committed or we just get this lack of interest in our spiritual life, and it's easy to do, the spiritual life can be up and down. It's a lack of interest, care, and concern. Someone said this, your commitments can destroy you or develop you, but either way, they will define you. 
I can tell you where I spend my money and I can tell you where I give my time and that's pretty much going to tell you what God means to me. Because I will show you what's important by my time and my money. Chuck Swindoll said this, it's a great saying. More than once, Jesus deliberately addressed certain issues that quickly diminished the number of onlookers. It was commitment that thinned the ranks. In the book, Not a Fan... Pastor Kyle Eidemann makes several great statements about commitment. He uses the story in John chapter 3 of Nicodemus. And let me show you some things what he said. Nicodemus was a man of the Sanhedrin, which was a religious leaders in Jerusalem. And you know the story in John 3 that he comes to Jesus at nighttime. There was probably a great reason for that. But here's the things that, that, that uh, Pastor Kyle Eidemann says. Things to learn from Nicodemus. Number one. There was a cost to follow Jesus, and Nicodemus was an admirer of Jesus at this time, but it didn't cost him anything. Secondly, Jesus wants to interfere with your life. We can live with minor changes, but don't make any major changes in my life. God, I, I can live with some minor stuff, but don't renovate my life. Don't turn my world upside down. And then thirdly, Jesus just doesn't want us to believe. He wants us to follow. He wants us to follow. Let me read this paragraph from that book. Jesus doesn't hold back with Nicodemus. Following Jesus would require a commitment that would cost Nicodemus a great deal. This is true throughout the Scriptures. Moses couldn't follow God without standing in front of Pharaoh. Noah couldn't follow God without building an ark that would bring ridicule from his neighbors. Daniel couldn't follow God by praying to him alone without being thrown in the den of lions. Following Jesus isn't something you can do at night when no one notices. It's a 24 hours a day commitment that will interfere with your life. And that is so true. We can't just stand on the sideline and watch and cheer everybody else serve God. He's saying, put on a jersey and get in the game. Get involved yourself. None of us here would say, well, I, I don't really care to serve God. We would all say that we, that we care to serve God. But do we have a jersey on and are we in the game? We can lose touch also by neglect of duty. And what is our duty in Ecclesiastes? The last verse says this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter for God. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. To fear and respect God and to keep the commandments of God which is walking in His truth. So we cannot live a life for Christ if we're not thinking on His Word constantly. That's why we need to read the Word and, and pray about the Word because His Word is what saturates my mind. His Word is what changes my thoughts to be more Christ-like. You know Romans 12 too, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what's the will of God and what is good and acceptable. How do I know what's good and acceptable? God's Word teaches me. It becomes a part of my life. You've probably met someone, and you, maybe you are that person, that your life drastically has changed since Jesus Christ came into your life. You live this way, and now you're living like 180 degrees different because God's Word penetrated your heart, your mind, your soul, and now you are a different person. And that's what God's Word does to us. But let me say this. We can also lose touch with Christ when we get too busy with temporal things. I was thinking this week about our church. I've only been here seven, a little over seven years. Some of you have been here many years, many, many years. So you know the history so much better. But God's had His hand on our church. 
And God has led Pastor Faiza Yub about three and a half years ago to come be the pastor of the church, only the third pastor since 1963. That's like unbelievable. But he led him here to lead us. And, and you look in the past history of our church, and every once in a while I'll come across some photos or something. I'm going, I don't know anybody in these photos. It's history from the 60s, 70s. I don't know anybody. But I, I know the great things that God has done through this church. But it's not over. And God has so much more that he wants to do through you, his church. So much more. So much more. There's so many more people that need to be saved and baptized and discipled. And I just want to challenge you this morning. What are you living for? I don't care if you're 20 or you're 80. What are you living for? As long as I've got breath in my body and I can do anything, I can always pray. And if I can physically do it, what am I living for? Am I living for temporal things? Or am I living for things that are eternity? Am I going to just live on the past? We had great past in this church but we got to push toward the future. we got to push toward the future. Great history, but it's not over. we still got so much more to do for God. Can I encourage you this morning? Would you say, as part of North Florida Baptist Church, what would God have me to do? Where would He have me to serve? How would He have me to serve? No, maybe you can't do what you used to do, but what can you do? What can you do? You can do something. It's real easy to get our life on things that don't matter. Some of you probably know Dr. James Dobson, a focus on the family, and he's retired now. But Dr. James Dobson went to USC, University of Southern California, and was a great tennis player. And he said this, he said, When I went to that university, my goal was this, to be the number one tennis player at UC, USC. He ended up achieving that goal, and he said this, he said, the day they took that trophy of me being number one and they put it in that trophy case, he said, man, I would walk by that trophy case and I'd go, that's, that's my trophy. And I mean, he, he was so happy over it. He graduated, left, the trophy stayed there. There, years later, he gets this box in the mail and he has no clue. He doesn't even know who the person is that sent it. He opens it up and lo and behold, it was that trophy. But there was a letter with it. And this is what the letter said. It says, We've been remodeling and renovating around here, and I found this trophy out back in the trash can, and I thought you might want it, so I thought I would just send it to you. And that's just a great picture, isn't it? That metal trophy, whatever it is, that's just about how much they're worth. That's just about how much they're worth. But what about taking somebody to heaven with you? What about that? How far does that go? What about teaching little children? Just how far does that go in, in children's church? Just how far does that go? What about being a, a, a Christian coach or teacher or whatever your occupation is, and you want to be the best coach that you can, but your goal more than winning games is, I want to build these young men or these young ladies. I want these men to grow up and, and know God as their Savior, and I want them to be husbands that are godly and fathers that are godly. Tell me what matters the most, that or a trophy. See, what are we living our life for? You see, they found Jesus where they lost him in verse 46. And too many times I got to admit to you that I want Jesus to come and be where I am instead of me going and be where Jesus is. And this last few months, I've had several friends that I went to college with that passed away, three of them with COVID and then some of them just other things. 
But at my age, it's made me step back. I don't know how much longer I have, just like you. And you might think, I'm 20, i got many years, and hopefully you do, but you don't know that. But it's made me step back even at my age and say, Tommy, what are you living for? Are you living for things that don't matter eternity? Or are you living for something that's going to count? Are you going to finish out? Are you going to finish out for the Lord and continue living for something that matters? I, I've told you about my father before, and I just and I know you probably think, oh, every time he gets up, he says somebody's dad. My dad's 86. My mom passed away in April. And that my dad and, and my mom had Alzheimer's, and, and it was pretty tough there for about a year or two. And, and it's a terrible disease, and my dad was going through it with her, of course. And God graciously took my mom to heaven back in April, and that's wonderful. And, I, and we thank God for that, that she didn't have to go through more of the Alzheimer's, and my father too. I talked to my dad this week. I cannot talk to my dad without talking about his church, because that's where the conversation's going every time. He's going to talk about church, and he's going to tell me about witnessing every time. And he told me this week, he said, you know what? I, I'm trying to walk at the YMCA to keep my legs in good shape. And so he walks about two miles a day and he said, and he gives out tracks. I've told you, he gives out tracks literally all the time, more than anybody I've ever known. And he said this, he said, I want to finish strong for God. And he said, I'm, I'm enjoying my life now as much as I've ever enjoyed it. He's 86. I'm enjoying my life now as much as I've ever enjoyed it. You would think he would be thinking, well, I'm in retirement age and time for me to slow down and I'm just going to sit here and watch some television and, and uh, he likes to watch the Braves and he's hoping they win the World Series, I'm sure, and all that stuff. But he's still got eternity in view at 86. And I just want to ask you as we close today, what are you living for? Are you staying close to Jesus on the journey? I hope you are. But what are you living for? It does matter what you live for. We didn't want to get young people. I love that we got so many young people in college age here in our church now. But don't end up being my age and look up and say, man, I've just kind of spent my life all doing these things and you didn't live for God and you didn't do anything that counted for eternity. Give your life to God. Do something that matters. Do something that matters for eternity. You can have a lot of jobs, but do something that matters for eternity with wherever God leads you. I want us to bow our head and close our eyes, and Brother Steve's going to come up. And we're going to have a time of response today, as Pastor Fiaz always does. And you can come forward and pray. There'll be people down here to pray with you if you like. If not, you can just come down here to the altar and just pray. And I don't know how God has spoken to you today. If He's spoken to you, that's between you and God, and that's wonderful. But I just want to give us an opportunity to let God do something in our heart. And you know what? You can come forward and pray. I realize you can pray there at your seat. and You can, and that's fine. But if you'd like to come pray, that would, that would be wonderful. But with heads bowed and eyes closed, let me just ask you this. Is there anyone here today, and I don't know everybody that's here, but in your heart you're saying, I've never trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm not on that journey with Jesus because I've never even started that journey with Jesus. I haven't been saved yet. Can I tell you how much God loves you and cares about you? So much that God the Father sent His Son that we've been talking about today, Jesus. We talked to Him about Him being 12, but when He was about 33 probably, He went to a cross. He lived a perfect sinless life because He's God in flesh. But He went to a cross, and you probably know the story, they nailed Him on a cross. They beat Him and nailed Him on a cross. And on that cross He shed His blood, and His blood payment was for our sin. 
And He did that for you and for me. And as we read in, in 2 Peter, it says He's not willing that any should perish. He wants everyone to come to salvation. But you know, the amazing thing is this. He does not force us. He says, you have your choice. Everybody gets to have their choice. But this morning, if you're saying, my choice is Jesus Christ, and today you want to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can. You can even do it right there at your seat if you like. We're going to give you an opportunity there with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for you to pray and accept Jesus Christ in your heart. You don't even have to pray out loud. You can pray in your heart and God hears you. Let me give you a little example prayer. It's got to be your prayer because it's you. This is not my prayer for you. But you would pray something like this. Dear Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. And right now, I accept your forgiveness for my sin. And I ask you to come into my heart and be my Savior. And you can pray a prayer along that line. God knows your heart. If you turn it into Him, He knows. And you can trust Jesus Christ, your Savior, and this can be the greatest day of your life. This could be your day of salvation. With head bowed and eyes closed, we're going to sit here with just some music playing for a few seconds and give anybody an opportunity that would like to be saved an opportunity to be saved. So let's just sit quietly for a few seconds. Christians, we ought to be praying right now. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but if you're here today and God is speaking to your heart, do business with God however He's speaking to you. He might put on your mind that neighbor that needs to be saved or that relative or, or that child that you need praying for. I, I don't know what, what's going on in your life, but God does. Take it to Him right now. Take it to Him right now, however He's, however he's leading you. And let's pray for God to give us a burden for lost people. We've sung about it. We've talked about it. Pastor Fayez has taken us through the book of Acts and it's all in there. Give us a burden for lost people. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. And Lord, I feel like I've probably done a poor job trying to explain it today. But God, you can take my pitifulness, Lord, and do something good because it's your word. Your word's powerful. And so God, I pray you'd work in all of our hearts today. It wouldn't just be an emotional message or Lord, it'd be something that would be brought on to us in our hearts from the Holy Spirit of God. So God, give us people in our mind that we need to talk to and we need to witness to and Lord, burden us about our lives. Lord, help us to live for things that matter. And Lord, this life passes so fast. Those of us that are older, it's just like a, like you say, a vapor just is here and gone. It's, life goes by so fast. And God, today I pray you'll just burden our hearts, Lord to reach this city, Lord, for you. Yes. Do what only you can do, God, and that's change our hearts. And Lord, as we, we're going to stand in just a moment, we're going to sing. Lord, help us to sing from our heart. And Lord, there's still time for people to come to an altar if they want to. But I pray, the Lord, this, during this time we can praise you in our hearts and truly praise you because of what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.